Well, I'm sure you would relate to me so many times when I go through the variety of narratives throughout the Scripture. As you're reading, you just want to be there. You, you, You picture what's going on, all that God is doing, especially during the three years of Jesus' ministry. You just want to be there at the feeding of the 5,000 and just see what all that was like. Or maybe even when Jesus was turning over the tables in the temple. Dude. Well, what would it have been like there in Bethlehem when Jesus was born? And so we're going to have a presentation of a shepherd in Bethlehem. Would you welcome the shepherd from Bethlehem? Well, shalom, shalom. May the peace of God be upon this place and everybody in it here tonight. I bring greetings to you from Bethlehem, from Judea, from Israel. What's your name, sir? Steve. Steve, it's good to meet you tonight. And who is this? His lovely wife. You didn't say lovely wife, but she did. And what was your first name? Janice. Well, tell me, have you guys ever shaken hands with a shepherd before? Uh, Well, then you know, you can clue her in. Be sure to wash that hand later on, okay? It's very, very important. Well, my name is Josiah, and I'm a shepherd. I come from the land of Israel, from the tribe of Judah, and from the city of Bethlehem. I come from a long, long line of shepherds. My father was a shepherd. His father was a shepherd. His father was a shepherd. In fact, the shepherds in my family go way, way back to a very famous shepherd, King David, who was the shepherd king of Israel from Bethlehem, my hometown. But I haven't come here tonight to tell you about myself. What I want to do is introduce you to a man that I met. And actually, he was just a baby when I first met him. And I was just a boy myself. But I will never... As long as I live, forget that night. Pardon me, it's been a long trip. I was with my father, my brothers. And we were on the hillsides just outside of Bethlehem. Now, I wanted to be back with my my mother and my sisters and my little baby brother, Benjamin. Benjamin had just been born days before. And and I wanted to be back home in in the warmth of our home. But my father said, no, Josiah, it's time you learn the family business. And so there we were out in the night air and gathered around this little fire talking about the day we had just finished and making plans for the day that was ahead, just talking about about our business and our family. And then suddenly, it happened. There before us, out of nowhere, stood an angel. Now, you may wonder how I knew it was an angel, but trust me, you would have known it was an angel. When that creature spoke, that was not the voice of a man that I heard. We were terrified. I mean, we we jumped into a a pile of shepherds there on the ground, just trembling with fear. And then the angel spoke. The first thing he said, fear not. I'm so sure. You would have been afraid too, trembling with us. But he said, don't be afraid because I bring you good news of great joy. Well, that was good to hear because I understand that one angry angel can do a lot of damage. But he said, I've come with good news for you because today is born unto you. This day is born unto you in the city of Bethlehem. Now that's Bethlehem, my hometown. He said, today is born unto you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now I'm not a really religious man. I don't come from a a really religious family, but every boy and girl and man and woman in, in all of Israel knew the promise that one day God would send us our Messiah. Oh, we long for Him to come and remove the Romans and all the other oppressors from our land. But to think that of, of all times, that time, of all places, Bethlehem, and of all people to announce it to, a bunch of shepherds, it was, it was too much to believe. Well, the angel must have known we had our doubts because he spoke again and he said, you need a sign, I can tell. And I'll give you a sign. You'll find this baby wrapped up in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. 
That was almost as hard to believe as the first thing he said. Because do you know what swaddling clothes are? They're just rags. They're strips of cloth left over from making garments. Oh, they're probably clean, but they're just rags. The kind of, of rags that a poor family would wrap their newborn baby in. But the, the family that a Messiah was born into, our king? And do you know what a manger is? It's a feeding trough for donkeys, for cattle, for sheep, for goats. Have you ever seen the inside of a feeding trough when a, when a, when a donkey got done with it? It's not a pretty sight. And to think that we would find our Messiah, our King, long awaited for King, wrapped up in rags like a beggar's child and laid on the straw in a manger, a feeding trough. It, it was just too much. But then suddenly, after he had given us that promise, suddenly the sky above us, it was filled with angels. They were everywhere. All of them crying out the same thing. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace with men with whom God is pleased. And then as quickly as they had arrived, they were gone. And it was dark. And we looked at one another. And we shook ourselves. Slapped, our, ooh, slapped ourselves to make sure we were alive, let alone awake. And then we did what you would have done. As fast as we could, we ran into the city of Bethlehem to try to find this little baby wrapped up in swaddling clothes, laying in the straw. And we asked everywhere, everybody we saw on the streets that night as we went into town, have you heard about a newborn baby boy? We found a couple of girls, but we were looking for a boy. And we were ready to give up. We said, Father, maybe nothing's going to happen. Maybe, maybe, maybe we were just dreaming that. And my father said, boys, let's, let's ask one more place. And we went to an inn. We knocked on the door. And the man came to the door and he threw his hands up like, I'm, I'm completely full. I have no more room. We said, sir, we're not looking for a room. My father said, we're looking for a baby. We know this sounds strange, but we're looking for a brand new baby boy. Do you, do you know of any little boys that were born today in this area? Well, the man hung his head almost like he was ashamed. And we said, sir, what is it? He said, well, there was a family that came. Just yesterday, and, and the woman was ready to give birth. And, and the only place I had for them was, was a stable. He said, it was very, very clean. He said, that's the only place I had. Well, well, we looked at one another and smiled, because as far as I know, that's probably the only place you're going to find a feeding trough, is in a stall or a barn. We said, sir, please show us. And we followed him back to that stall. And he showed us where the family was. And we looked around that doorway, past those beams and, and into that, that stall. And there, wrapped up in rags and laying on the straw in that manger, was a brand new baby boy. He couldn't believe it. It was true what the angel had told us. Well, the family motioned to us to come in. It was almost like they'd been expecting us. We told them about our visitation from the angels. And, and, and they looked at one another and smiled. I mean, as if they'd had visitations from angels. And then we asked their name. The, the woman's name, the mother, her name was Mary. And her husband's name was Joseph. And you know what the baby's name was? His name was Jesus. When they told us the child's name, my father, he bent down and he whispered into my ear, Josiah. That's the perfect name for a Messiah. Do you know what it means? And I looked up and my father said, No, Father, I don't. He said, Well, it means God, Jehovah, our God, will save us. He said, It's the perfect name for our Messiah, our King. I can't explain to you the feeling in, in that stall except to say that it felt so holy. I've been in the temple many, many times. I've been in, in the synagogue, many synagogues, but I've never been in a place that felt as holy as that humble stable did that night. Well, then we did what you would have done. We fell on our faces and we worshipped him. Oh, I, I wanted to stay there forever. But Father said, boys, we have to get back to the sheep. So we said our goodbyes and, and we began to make our, our way back. And I, I remember what I did. 
I don't know why, but, but I, I asked Father to wait for me. And I ran back and I had a fleece around my, my neck. And I went back and I gave it to the family. I said, just in case he gets cold, we'll be back. But just in case he gets cold. And Mary thanked me and we went back. But something inside of us had changed that night. And on the way back, I mean, we told everybody what we'd seen, what we'd heard. But the Messiah, our King, had come. And, and what the angel had told us. And you know, most of them, they thought we were a little crazy. But most of them think that about us anyway. So it wasn't really anything new. But we knew that something was different. Well, that wasn't the last time that I saw Jesus. The family stayed there oh, in, in Bethlehem for, oh, maybe two years. And my little brother Benjamin became one of Jesus' little friends. I mean, they, they played together. They learned to talk at about the same time. They learned to walk at about the same time. Jesus was a little bit faster at learning those things than my brother was. But they were buddies. They were friends. And, and we got them together whenever we could. And, and, and I'll never forget this one morning that I, I said to Benjamin, Hey, Ben, would you like to go see Jesus today? And his face just lit up. He loved his little friend. So I picked him up in my arms and we began to make our way through the, the city of Bethlehem over to the place where, where the family was living. Joseph had set up a little carpenter shop and made things and fixed things for people. Well-respected man in our community. But when we got to the house, though, it, it, it was empty. They were gone. We'd been there a few days before. They hadn't told us that they were moving. We asked the, the neighbors next door, where did they move to? it, and, and they were just as surprised as we were. They said they must have left in the middle of the night with no warning. Well, well Benjamin was heartbroken. I mean, he'd, he'd wanted to play with his friend that day. And so I, I, I picked Ben up in my arms and, and we, I, just comforting and we began to walk home. And, and then I began to hear it. I'll never forget it. As long as I live, all over the city of Bethlehem, I heard the voices of mothers and fathers that I knew crying out the names of little children that I knew. I wondered, what's happening in our town? And then as we, we, we turned this one corner, suddenly we were surrounded by soldiers. These were Herod's soldiers. One of them said to me, how old is that boy in your arms? I, I was too frightened to, to even speak. He took a step towards me and he said, I asked you a question. How old is that child? And all I could do was say, well, why? What's the problem? And then he reached out and he grabbed Benjamin's cloak. And I, I pulled as fast as I could away from him. And I began to run, holding Benjamin in my arms. And I ran up the streets and between the houses and, and through the alleys and out into the fields. But somewhere they caught me. They hit me from behind. And I don't know how long I laid there on the ground. But when I came to, oh, I can remember the pain in my head to this day. And then I remembered Benjamin. And I looked and he was laying on the ground not far from me. I ran to him and I said, Benjamin, wake up. We have to go home. Something's happened. He didn't answer me. I got down and I shook him and I said, Benjamin, wake up. We have to go. But he didn't move. And then I went to pick him up and I saw the blood. They had killed him. They had killed him. An innocent, defenseless little two-year-old boy. They had taken his life away. For what reason? I couldn't believe it. I, I was just shocked. I, I picked his body up in my arms and I just began to wander. I don't know how long. But finally I, I made it home. I didn't even know how I could go home. How could I tell mother and father what had happened? But when I got home, I realized what all those other voices were that I heard that day. Do you see what happened in Bethlehem that day? All over the city, every little boy two years old and younger, had been killed by Herod's soldiers. Well, my father, I have never seen him as broken and as angry in my life. He and my brothers and I, we marched over to the, the place where Herod's soldiers stayed and we demanded answers. And do you know what they told us? 
They said Herod had heard that another king of the Jews had been born. And that there was no way he would give his throne or his crown to another. Well, that was the day. That was the day I began to hate like I'd never hated before. I hated Herod with everything that was in my being. I hated him. When he would come by in one of his processions, ridiculous processions, I would, I would curse him under my breath and spit on the ground as he passed by. If I had been braver, I would have done more. But I became the most bitter person you have ever met in your life. I was so angry at everything. I was angry at God. I was angry at people, the soldiers, Herod. I even began to wonder. I'm ashamed to tell you this, but I even began to wonder if there could even be a God in Israel that would allow something like that to happen to a defenseless little child. Where was God when my little brother was, was being killed? Why didn't he intervene? Why didn't he help? Well, the bitterness in, in my heart, it raged for years and years and years. Like I said, I was the bitterest person you would have ever met. Then one day, I met a beautiful maiden. Her name was Sarah. Sarah became my bride. Sarah was from Bethlehem. She lost a nephew the same day, in the same way that Benjamin died. What surprised me, though, is that, that Sarah still believed with all of her heart in a loving God. And I remember one of our very first talks. <laughs> I, I, I kind of mocked her faith. I said, Sarah, how can you really believe in a loving God that lets evil things like that happen? I said, where was God when Benjamin and your nephew were being killed? And she said, oh, Josiah. She said, the evil things that happen in this world, you can't blame those on God. But whenever man decides that he can live without God, that he doesn't need God interfering in his life, the only thing that can happen is evil. And she said, yes, Josiah, sometimes even that bad. She was so wise, so wise. And I remember the day she said to me, Josiah, I can feel the anger in you. I can feel the bitterness. And the only way you'll ever, ever find healing over that is if you let God be the healer of your broken heart, the very one you blame, you've got to come back to Him. And very slowly she brought me back to the simplest of faiths in a God who began to heal my broken heart. Well, I told you, she became my wife. And our very firstborn, her name is Leah, we named her after a princess of Israel. She's a precious child. But Leah was born with a problem little crippled foot, all twisted up, could never walk on it. And again, I got so angry at God. And one night when I thought I was all alone in my anger and my pain, off in a corner, just kind of whispering my frustration and my doubt, and I remember my fist was even clenched. I said, God, why? Why couldn't you have made it so that Leah was born with, with two good feet? If anyone, Lord, you, why didn't you? Well, I thought I was alone. But Sarah was listening to my complaint. And she came right up to me. Husbands, you know how this goes. She came right up to me, right up to my face. She took me by the shoulder. She looked me in the eyes and she said that she wasn't smiling this time. She said, Josiah, stop it. Stop it. Why do you always blame God when things go wrong? Why can't you thank Him for the, the precious little princess that He's given us? And quit blaming Him because one little part doesn't work quite right. Well, again, she brought me to my senses. I wish you could meet her. One of the most precious gifts God has ever given me. Well, I need to get back to my story about Jesus. You see, it wasn't the last time that I met him or saw him as a little two-year-old. The only thing that brought me comfort through those years is that it seemed somehow that Jesus had gotten away. I didn't know how or where he'd gone. And it, it was years later. I was an adult with a family. And there was a man who came into our region of the world named John. We called him the Baptist because he called us 
to turn from our sins, meet him at the Jordan River, where if we were serious about walking with God, he would baptize us in the waters of the Jordan. And it seemed like all of Israel had gone out there to see him. Now, John had some interesting things about him. He, he dressed rather strange. Now, you may think that this is rather strange, but you should try camel's hair with the scratchy part turned into your skin. Oh. And, but his diet was even stranger than, his, than his, his wardrobe, his clothing. Because for some odd reason, John had taken a liking to eating grasshoppers dipped in honey. Now, now I suppose... If you're going to eat a grasshopper, that's probably the best way to get it down. I, I don't know. I've never really been tempted to eat a grasshopper, but that's how he ate his grasshoppers. But his message, oh, it was simple and powerful. He said, I have come to prepare the way of the Lord. He said, all I am is a voice crying in the wilderness. Make, re- make way, make ready the paths in your heart for the coming of your Messiah. And like I said, it seemed all of Israel went to the Jordan River to be baptized. We were there. And my family and I were just about to go into the water one day. John and his disciples were baptizing, it seemed like, thousands and thousands of people. When one day he stopped what he was doing. He looked back towards the back of the crowd behind us. He pointed and he shouted out, look, right there. That is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And I thought... John, have you lost it? Do you know what the Lamb of God is? You need to know something about the Lamb of God. It's the Lamb of Atonement that our people would sacrifice every year on one day to cover the sins of the nation of Israel. Here's what you need to know about the Lamb of God. Number one, it's a lamb. It's a, you know, do you know what I mean? It's a lamb. It's not a person. And that lamb has to be perfect, spotless, white, not a chipped tooth or a cracked hoof, not lame in any way, absolutely strong and healthy. By the way, if you're ever in the market for a lamb like that, you come to me. We have many, many lambs just like that, just so you know. And, but that lamb has to be perfect and it has to die. How could that apply to whoever this man was? But we watched as the crowd parted and this man made his way down in the water right out to John. And I began to ask people around me, who is this guy? Does anybody know him? I didn't recognize him. People around me said, no, we don't know him either. There was one man standing close to us said, yeah, I know him. He said he's from my hometown of Nazareth. His name is Jesus. He's a carpenter. I thought, Jesus? I remember Jesus, the little boy that I knew. Carpenter? Jesus' father, Joseph. Mary's husband was a carpenter. I said, no, that, that couldn't be. That couldn't be after all these years. And I asked the man, well, did he always live in Nazareth? He said, no, no, he came there as a little boy. But he said, I understand he was born in a, in a town not far from here. The town of Bethlehem. I couldn't believe my eyes. It was him. It had to be him. And I watched as, as Jesus and John out there in the water. You know, it looked like they were arguing. Like, like John was saying, no, no, I can't baptize you. And Jesus was saying, yes, yes, you're going to baptize me. And John said, no, I can't baptize And Jesus said, yes. And I guess Jesus won the argument because John baptized him. And I watched as, as Jesus came up out of the water, the strangest thing. I've never seen it before. I've never seen it since. A little dove came flying from out of nowhere. Now, there's lots of doves in that region of the world. They're everywhere. But doves are very timid little birds. They don't approach people. This dove came flying and landed on Jesus. They never do that. And then it took off and began to fly. Here's the strange part. Jesus followed it. Out into the wilderness. I felt like calling after him. Jesus, there's nothing out there. There's no towns out there. It's just wilderness. No water, no food, no people. But I knew I had business to take care of that day. And my family and I, we went into that water. And, and something changed as we confessed our sins. Asked God to be our forgiver and the leader, the Lord of our lives. Well, after we came up out of the water, we looked around for Jesus, but he was gone. 
But that wasn't the last time that I saw him. Oh, it was maybe two, two and a half years later. I was with my brothers and our families and our flocks. And, and we were up in the region of Galilee. Oh, have you ever been to Galilee? How many here have ever been to Galilee? It's beautiful. You must go. And we were up in the, in the Galilee area. And I, I'll never forget this day. We came up over one of those beautiful hills. And we were looking down into the valley on the other side. And there was a, a huge crowd. Thousands and thousands of people. And all of them gathered around a man in the middle of them who was teaching them. Now, I'm not a religious man, but I have been to synagogue a few times. And I've heard lots of rabbis and lots of preachers talk. And most of them talk in great big words to impress you with how much they know and how much you don't know. So I wanted to hear what this guy had to say. And just being the curious shepherds that we were, we just pressed our way down in the crowd and I couldn't believe it. It was Jesus again. And we settled in to listen and I wasn't going to let him get away this time. And we listened to what he had to say. And you know, he talked about things we understood. I'm a shepherd. I know sheep. And Jesus taught a story about a shepherd that had a a flock of a hundred sheep. Nice little flock. And he said, let's suppose that you had a flock of a hundred. And you lost one. And it happens all the time. Sheep are always wandering off, following one another, out into the thickets, over cliffs. All one sheep has to do is say, and they're all in a line following him. You want to try that with me on the count of three? One, two, three. That's all you have to do. And someone will follow you. They're always getting in trouble. And so Jesus said this in this story. He said, suppose one got lost. Wouldn't you leave the 99 in safekeeping with a good friend and and go search until you found that one lost lamb? Well, that's exactly what we've done many times. You cannot lose one of your lambs. They're your livelihood. Well, until it's time for a sacrifice, you know, and and then they even become like household pets to you until you're really hungry for some lamb chops. But, but, but you know, you can't lose them. They're, They're your livelihood. And so that's what you would have to do. And you would search until you found them dead or alive. But he said, if you found that lamb alive, wouldn't you put it up on your shoulders and carry it back to your friends? And when you got there, wouldn't you celebrate that your one lost wandering lamb had been found? And I'm thinking, yes, yes, of course. But what does this have to do with anything? And then Jesus said, let me tell you, in the same way, There is so much more happiness and rejoicing in heaven when one soul, one sinner, turns from their sin and comes to God than there is over 99 so-called righteous people who think they don't need to repent. Then we got it. Jesus wasn't talking about sheep. He was talking about you and I and how prone we are to wander, how we follow one another off into trouble of all kinds. And, 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 the, and the, the point of the story was that heaven loves it. Nothing makes heaven happier than when we turn from our sin, turn from running from God and run towards Him. God, our Father, loves that when we come running back to Him. Well, then, Jesus began to talk about shepherds. Now, I am a shepherd, and I know shepherding. And Jesus said this. He said, I am the good shepherd. And I thought, well... No, you're not a shepherd. You're maybe a carpenter. If you're a shepherd, where's your sheep? But he said, I'm the good shepherd. And my sheep know my voice and they follow me. He said, I am the good shepherd and I will lay down my life for the sheep. I had no idea what he meant when he said that. But I recorded it somewhere back in my mind. But then after, after he he taught us they began to bring people to him. And they were sick people with all kinds of sickness. I mean, there were diseases that made these people untouchable. There were lepers. There were blind people. There were those that were lame. And all Jesus did was he walked up and he touched them. And they were healed. He touched someone that had been blind from birth. And those eyes opened. And you saw that person seeing. Do you know what I mean? They looked around at things that had only been described to them for years. 
and they could see. Jesus touched a little child that they said had been born without the ability to hear. Just touched him on the ears. Pardon me. And that little boy looked around. He was hearing for the first time in his life. They brought a man that was lame. was healed like that. I turned to my wife and she knew exactly what was on my mind. I held out my arms and, and she put Leah in my arms. And I pressed my way through that crowd and, and I don't know why I did this. But when I got right in front of Jesus, I got down on my knee. When it was my turn and I said, Jesus, I know you don't remember me. I knew you when you were just a little boy in Bethlehem. I said, this is my daughter, Leah, and she was born with a crippled foot. Is there anything you can do for her? And Jesus looked at me and he said, oh, Josiah. How did he know my name? I hadn't told him my name. I said, how did you know me? And he, he said, that's not important, Josiah. Look, he pulled his hand away from her foot. He'd already touched her. And he said, Josiah, look, it's already done. Your faith has made her well. Look at that. And I looked down and for the very first time in Leah's life, she was wiggling her little toes. She had never done that. Her little foot had straightened out. I couldn't believe my eyes. Everybody around just made a big circle. And, and I very gently put Leah down on the ground and she, she looked through the crowd and she saw Sarah, her mother. And the crowd parted and for the first time in her life, she ran right through that crowd and jumped into her mother's arms. And they hugged for a while and, and then Sarah put Leah back on the ground and she looked through the crowd again and she saw him. And she went running through that crowd and jumped into Jesus' arms and hugged his neck so hard. I wish you could have seen the look on Jesus' face when he held my little girl as he spoke to her. Tears of joy were running down his face at the thankfulness of my little girl. And she was saying, Oh, Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. And he put her on his knee. And he said, So your name is Leah? And she said, Yep. He said, You know, that's the name of a princess of Israel? And she said, That's what my daddy calls me, his little princess. And Jesus looked at me and I kind of nodded like, Good job, Josiah. And then he said, Leah, do you love God? And she said, oh, Jesus, I love, I love God with all my heart. He said, Leah, I want you to love God all of your life, no matter what happens to you. No matter what changes in your life, would you keep loving God? She said, oh, I will. And then he put her down on the ground again. And that little girl started running. And she hasn't stopped running to this day. Everywhere she goes, she tells people, about how God loved her so much and how God loves them and what Jesus did for her. Well, I got a hold of Jesus and I said, Jesus, you'll never know how thankful we are for this. I wanted to hold on to him forever. But there were so many people that needed him that day and he went through that crowd. But do you know what? The most important things that Jesus healed that day, they, they weren't the, the broken bones and bodies and eyes and ears and limbs. They were the hearts of people. You see, anybody who let Jesus touch them, their lives were changed forever. Households where husbands and wives didn't know how to do anything except fight with one another. Suddenly those homes, those husbands, those wives, those families learned to love each other and be patient with each other. And where once there was bitterness, there was peace that took over. Well, they went through... They went through the crowd, Jesus and his disciples, and so many lives were touched. The sun went down that night. Oh, by the way, after he, he healed all those people, they knew we were hungry, I guess, and they sat us all down. And it, don't ask me how he did this, please. But it looked like with a little handful of bread and fish, they fed all of us until we were full and we couldn't take anymore. And it was good food. The sun went down that night and we got up in the morning and we looked for Jesus. And he was gone, his disciples. But oh, we were different. Our lives had changed. But that wasn't the last time that I saw Jesus. It was maybe a, a year, a year and a half later. And we were in Jerusalem. 
for the Passover. Now, now we go to Jerusalem every single year for Passover because we're Jewish and that's where we belong at those feast days. But I have to be very honest with you too. We make pretty good money on Passover, selling our lambs for sacrifices, so it's very good for our business too. But we were there this one Passover. But when we came into the town of Jerusalem, the city, there was just a feeling I can't explain to you. Just an uneasiness. We heard the day after we got there that, that one of Jesus' closest friends, a man named Judas, had been found dead. They say that, that, that he had taken his own life. It didn't make sense to us. I mean, not that everyone who followed Jesus, all their problems were over, but at least it seemed like they had peace to walk through those problems. We didn't understand what, what made this man give up on life. It just, it, it was puzzling. But then we heard there was a commotion, a riot about to start over at the palace of Pilate, our beloved governor from Rome, who'd been sent to keep the peace in our troubled land. Being the curious shepherds that we are, we made our way over to that palace. Oh my goodness, you should have seen it. The courtyard was packed with people everywhere. You see, every year, Pilate did us a little favor. He would release one Jewish prisoner. And it was usually someone that was arrested for no good reason whatsoever. Except to teach us a lesson that they were in control and we weren't. Well, this year, he was asking us to do the choosing. Who would he set free? And there was one man on either side of him. One of them, I recognized him right away. Everybody knew this man. His name was Barabbas. A horrible man. A liar, a cheat, a thief, a murderer. He had been arrested for trying to overthrow the government. And he probably was guilty of that. And he was sentenced to die. On the other side was another man. I, I didn't recognize him at first. But I pushed my way through the crowd to get a closer look. And I couldn't believe my eyes. It was Jesus. I asked the people around me, what did he do? What's he accused of? Do you know what they said it was? They said that he had been arrested for threatening to tear down the temple with his own bare hands and build it up again in three days. And they took him seriously? How could anyone do that? It was considered blasphemy against the holy place. And our leaders wanted him executed. And I thought to myself, well, if this is really our choice, this won't take long. And I was right. It didn't take long. Because when Pilate said, whom shall I release to you? I was about to cry out, well, well Jesus, of course. But before I could get the words out of my mouth, it was almost like that crowd had, had been rehearsing it, practicing it. They all cried out with one voice, give us Barabbas. Were they out of their mind? And then I wondered, well, where are Jesus' friends that, that, that traveled with him and ministered with him, served with him? Where are they? His helpers. And I realized they were probably right where I was by that time. Frightened, scared to death that what, what, whoever had done that to Jesus would do that to us. And, and Pilate, it seemed like he was trying to let Jesus go, but the crowd wouldn't hear it. And they cried again, give us Barabbas. And then Pilate said, well, then what shall I do with Jesus? You wouldn't have believed your ears. Again, they cried out together, well, kill him. Crucify him. We don't care. Crucify him. And I couldn't believe my eyes when, when Pilate handed Jesus over to the guards. And they took a beam of wood much, much larger than this. They put it across his shoulders and, and they strapped his hands out to the end of it. And they made him walk the long route through Jerusalem, winding through the streets as people shouted terrible things at him. I remember hearing people say, Hey, hey, Mr. Savior, save yourself. He didn't say a word to defend himself. Didn't answer back at all. People slapped at him, pulled at his beard. I could, I, I could hardly bear to watch it, but I couldn't leave. And I followed at a distance. And when they got him out to the place, just outside the walls of Jerusalem, a place called Golgotha, horrible place, they took that beam of wood and they attached it to a much longer beam. They made a cross out of it. 
And then they laid Jesus down on that cross and, and with hammers and spikes, they drove it through his flesh and they attached him to that cross. And then they raised that thing up in the air and they dropped it into the ground. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. See, Golgotha was the place where the Romans executed all the criminals. Anyone who had gotten on the wrong side of Rome, that's where they usually ended up, dying on a cross or a stake. It's also the place where the people of Jerusalem threw away their garbage. They took Jesus out to the garbage heap, and there they crucified him. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe my eyes. I stood back towards the back of that crowd and for the longest time. And then in the middle of the day, the, the ground began to shake. The sky it went black like midnight in the middle of the day. And I thought to myself, oh, God is coming to judge us. This is all over for us. We've taken a gift that God gave us and thrown it away like trash. I began to remember the things that, I, that I'd heard about Him. It was so strange. It was just like a flood of thoughts came back. I remembered what the angel said the night that he was born, how the angel said, listen, tonight is born unto you in the city of David in Bethlehem a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And I thought to myself, Lord, if this is your way, if this is how you save, I don't understand it. Then I remembered what John the Baptist said. Look, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Well, there he was, dying silently like a lamb, like Isaiah said. Then I remembered what Jesus said about himself. I'm the good shepherd, and I will lay down my life for my sheep. And it certainly appeared like Jesus was willing to die. Not a word to defend himself. And then I remembered something that almost startled me as it came back to mind. Something I learned as a child. I couldn't believe it was still in there. Do you have things like that? Where you, for, you forget important things and you remember meaningless things? And your mind is stacked up with things that don't matter and the important stuff is gone. I couldn't believe this was still in there. It was a passage of scripture I learned as a child in synagogue from the prophet Isaiah. I remember when they taught it to us. Because we had to learn big portions of scriptures as children. And I remember on the walk home from synagogue, I asked my father... I said, Father, what is, what is Isaiah talking about? Who's he talking about? Who's this man? And my father stopped, and he got right down on my level, and he said, Josiah, let me tell you, I don't know. I asked my father the same thing, and he didn't know. My father told me what I have to tell you. We'll just have to wait and see who that is and what that means. And it came was from the prophet Isaiah where he said, He, whoever he was, he is despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid our faces from him. He was despised, but we didn't care. But Isaiah said, He has borne our sorrows. He's carried our griefs. But we thought he was stricken by God, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded, Isaiah said. For our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the payment for our peace with God, well, it was put upon Him. And by His stripes, we're healed. Isaiah said, all of us like sheep, we've all gone astray. And all of us have turned off to our own way. And the Lord laid on Him the sin of us all. I thought, maybe. Could this be God's way of healing? And saving? Could this be how it works that the innocent one has to die for the guilty just like the Lamb of Atonement? But it was just, I was so confused, all of these thoughts and then what I was having to look at right before me. I was so confused. And then later on in that day, well, the, the sun came back out, the ground stopped shaking. And I wasn't that far away when I heard Jesus say, these words, I'll never forget them. He cried out, It is finished. Do you know what it is finished means? 
It's a term that we use in the marketplace all the time, every day. When somebody comes to us and they want to buy one of our, uh, our perfect lambs, we decide on a price. And they dip into their, their purses and they begin to put the, the money into our hands. And when the last shekel is counted out, we clasp hands and we say, it is finished. It means paid in full. Was Jesus saying that, that our sins were covered now? That he had finished paying for our sins? Again, there was a glimmer of hope that this might somehow mean something. But then he died. He hung his head after that. And he died. I stayed there for a while. I couldn't believe it. I thought to myself, God, how can you, how can you allow us to live another day when you've been so good to us and we've turned a deaf ear to you? Well, I watched a little later in the day as a group of women came. I think one of them was Mary. I recognized her from so many years ago, but the years had passed, and, and, and I wanted to run to her and tell her how sorry I was for their grief and for what had happened that day, but I knew it wasn't my place. And I watched as they took Jesus down from the cross with the help of a couple of men, and they wrapped him again, just like he'd been wrapped as a child in swaddling clothes much larger cloth. They wrapped him in the grave cloths and they carried him away. And my heart absolutely broke. I thought, God, it's over and our last hope, our most perfect hope is gone. And I stood there that day and I hung my head and I wept and I wept and I wept for the longest time. But that wasn't the last time that I saw Jesus. We stayed in Jerusalem, oh, for weeks and weeks. We had other business to take care of, other places, but for some reason we didn't want to leave. So we stayed. And every place, in the synagogue, on the Temple Mount, in, in the marketplace, in, the, in everywhere we went, from home to home, all your friends, you'd gather around, and wherever the conversation started, do you know where it went? It finally went to a question. What did you think about Jesus? Who do you think he was? You might be surprised to hear that a lot of people believed. In spite of what had happened, they believed he was the son of God. But look, it's too late. He's gone. We've allowed them to take him away and kill him. He's gone. But we would gather together in these little circles of 5, 15, 30, 50 people. Those groups grew and grew and grew to one night. I'll never forget this night. As long as I live, we were in a crowd of over 500 people. And Jesus came walking right into the middle of that crowd. I thought, where did he come from? I had seen him die. Dead men don't live, do they? I mean, we were just gathered there that night comforting ourselves and asking God to forgive us and hoping and praying and thinking maybe God will give us another chance, telling our Jesus stories to one another. And there he was. Where did he come from? And then I thought, oh boy, he's going to be mad. I mean, all of us forsook him. There wasn't anybody that stood up and defended him. But do you know when he spoke, he didn't speak words of anger. He hadn't come to tell us how bad we were. We knew that. He came with good news. Why is it that we take the good news so often and we make it sound so bad as if God is angry at broken people? There couldn't have been a more broken group than us that night. When Jesus spoke, he spoke words of love and comfort to us. And I think he looked right at me that night when he said, my peace I give you. My peace I give. Not like the world gives do I give to you? Don't let your hearts be troubled. That was the night. That was the night that this, this shepherd gave his life once and for all to the good shepherd. That was the night that this shepherd became a lamb and the flock of the good shepherd. Now I'm still a shepherd, but I don't just live for my business anymore, my, my flock. I live to tell the story for as long as God allows me to have breath. I will tell the story of Jesus, the good shepherd of Bethlehem, who came into the real world to save real people like you and me.
Jesus that came, as he said, to seek and to save that which was lost. Does anybody in here qualify for that? That which was lost? He came looking for you. He came into your world looking for you. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came that you might have life. And just as there were shepherds and, and there were magi and there were wise men in the days of Jesus, there are people today that are ready to hear this simple truth. Your sins can be forgiven. Jesus didn't come all the way from heaven to condemn you, but to forgive you and to save you, to heal your broken heart, to open your prison door. He came to set you free if you're a captive tonight. And, and here's how difficult it is. Here's what you have to do. You have to stop running from God and start walking towards Him. And you have to say to Him, Jesus, would you save me? Lord, would you forgive me? Jesus, would you set me free? I'm tired of being in bondage to this addiction, to this habit that's ruining my life and my family's life. Jesus is here tonight to move into your heart. If you'll just open the door a little bit, He'll come rushing in. He came for you. He loved you. You were made by God to know Him. And maybe there's someone in here tonight that's ready to say, Jesus, here's what's left of my life. I'll live for you. You can have all that's left of me. I want to encourage you right now to open your heart and say what needs to be said to God from your heart to His. Would you close your eyes and let me pray for you right now. Father God, I thank you for the story that I get to share and that we all get to share that Jesus the Christ is the Son of the living God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that Jesus our Messiah came to set captives free and heal broken hearts. And Lord, I pray tonight all over this place that you would heal broken hearts, open prison doors, open blinded eyes, heal, Lord, fix what's broken in our lives. We invite you, Jesus. We invite you now to come. We believe you You lived. We believe you died for our sins. You died for us and because of us, Lord. And we believe you rose from the dead. And we invite you, living Christ, to come and live in us now and take over. Thank you, Father. With your eyes closed, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if you're ready tonight, even if you're a Christian who's wandered, or you're a Christian who's kept God out of a closet of your life, tonight's the night to say, Lord, come in here and fix this. I want to encourage you to pray this prayer out loud if you're ready to go further with Christ or to get started with Jesus Christ. He can forgive you even that, that terrible sin you're thinking about right now. Yeah, He died for that. I want to ask you to pray this prayer out loud and say, Father God, say it out loud. Say, Father God, I give you my life. I thank you that Jesus died for me. And that he lives. And now I open my heart and invite Jesus to be my Lord and my leader, my forgiver. Take what's left of my life, Jesus. And use me for your glory. I'll do whatever you want me to. In Jesus' name, amen.